Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Welcome, welcome, welcome to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio. I am your host, Rob Watson, and we have a really uh, interesting, fascinating show lined up for you today. Uh, past few weeks, we've done a lot of music and films and kind of artistic expression, and today we're getting into the political world and the legislative world more specifically. Um, so important issues going on. Um, primarily, we're going to focus on something called the Kids Online Safety Act, which is um, making its way through Congress as we speak. It's a piece of legislation and regulations that um, has got bipartisan support, um, although why people on each side of the aisle are supporting it is under discussion and causing some controversy because um, the intentions may be very different. Um, uh, the intent behind this, uh, specifically from our point of view, is um, possibly legislation to protect LGBTQ kids. Um, and there's some concern whether this will do that or whether it could have things in it that could in, in fact harm LGBTQ kids. So we're, um, we're going to talk about that in depth. Uh, we've got some great people on board um, to help us um, go through all that. We've got uh, Laura Marquez Garrett, who is a Harvard Law School graduate and um, has worked 20 years in big law. Um, in 2022, however, she left that big law kind of environment and uh, joined the Social Media Victims Law Center and has been advocating for um, basically restrictions in social media to help protect kids and other people who've been victimized by it. Um, also on board is our friend Lance Preston. Um, uh, Lance is the founder and executive director of the Rainbow Youth Project USA. We've had him on the show before um, advocating for LGBTQ kids, and he's going to help us um, something we're not unaware of, but uh, he's going to help articulate the challenges that LGBTQ youth are facing uh, in social media today and the effects of it. Um, also on board, we've got Chris Kane, um, reporter for the Blade magazines, uh, both Washington Blade and the Los Angeles Blade. Um, Chris is going to give us some inside look on the uh, Kids Online Safety Act specifically um, uh, from the, the vantage point of a, a reporter covering that. And, of course, we've got Brody Levesque, who is the um, co-host of the show and the executive editor of Los Angeles Blade magazine. Um, and for our update of current news going on as we speak, um, here's Brody. Hey, Rob. Good afternoon to our guests. Thank you all for subscribing and listening. Good morning if you're in a part of the world where it's morning. Uh, we had another uh, situation take place in Northern California. Uh, the Rockland Unified School District Board voted 4-2 to two and passed uh, 
a policy which essentially will require school administrators and faculty to notify parents if, quote, their child wants to be identified as a gender other than their biological sex, end quote. Uh, the vote came after a rather contentious meeting that went into the early morning hours of today. Now, the thing about these policies is that we now have four school boards in California that have passed these things. And recently, actually yesterday, <laughs> California Attorney General Bonta, Rob Bonta, took uh, one of those school districts uh, into court and sued them to block the policy. And the injunction was, in fact, granted uh, by the San Bernardino Superior Court judge. The Attorney General's office uh, is going to have to go after the other three or four school districts. Interestingly enough, uh, in my communication with the AG's office this morning, they informed me that they had actually told this school board before the meeting, don't go there, and this is why. And, well, they got ignored. So. Uh, here we go again. Um, essentially, what these policies are is there is um, a nationwide group called Moms for Liberty, and they are a far-right organization. They were founded during the COVID uh, pandemic in Florida. Their initial uh, portfolio was all about anti-mask policies and anti-vax policies. Um, they quite literally aligned themselves with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and when DeSantis started to come after the LGBTQ community, they hopped right on it. Moms for Liberty has been responsible for countless book banning incidences and policies like this across the United States. They went from half a dozen chapters and over the last three years have exploded into 450 chapters virtually all over the country. Yesterday, Governor DeSantis actually appointed one of the co-founders uh, to a very important ethics commission on board for the state of Florida. Moms for Liberty held a convention this past July in Philadelphia, and virtually every Republican candidate for POTUS, including Trump, the front runner, uh, paraded across the stage and gave their little speech. This is important because the Moms for Liberty chapters are getting themselves elected onto these school boards, which includes these school boards here in California. They are vehemently anti-gay and vehemently anti-trans. They toss around phrases like parental rights and parental notifications. And essentially what has occurred is they've shifted focus in the far right from religious liberty and liberty expression and that sort of nonsense, which wasn't really selling with the public. And now they've moved the discussion on anti-LGBTQ policies and battling over what they're calling parental rights. And that, unfortunately, resonates with these parents. And then these Moms for Liberty types get themselves elected to these school boards. Um, and as you can imagine, it gets a little ugly. I had a situation I was made aware of about two weeks ago in Adams County, Pennsylvania. Uh, in full disclosure, I used to uh, lease a farm up there. That's the city of, or the township of Gettysburg, which everybody who has studied American history knows what happened in Gettysburg in July of 1863 during the Civil War. Uh, but Monster Liberty's local chapter head got herself elected to the school board in Gettysburg. And the very first thing she did was she went after the books. The second thing she did was she went after the tennis coach. Why the tennis coach? Because the tennis coach is a trans female. Uh, there was a big, huge brouhaha about it. Uh, tempers flew. The entire town was in an uproar. 
And then fortunately on Monday, the school board decided that they were going to renew the trans teachers teaching contract and coaching contract. Uh, and she was basically outvoted. Not that that's necessarily going to stop this particular person, but at least for now, she's been mitigated, shall we say. The thing of it is, is that this is all part and parcel of what our guests and we are going to talk about today. It is very much interrelated. There's a lot of moving parts to these arguments. There's a lot of moving parts uh, from various, you know, views on this particular subject matter. Two of our guests uh, are actually uh, bar uh, certified attorneys. Uh, and of course, we have our White House reporter, Chris Kane, who uh, actually was on Capitol Hill. He'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, one of my longtime columnists, Aaron Reed, wrote an op-ed news analysis over the weekend, which got a lot of people upset. And um, ironically, on a weekend where most people were out celebrating the last day of summer and eating hot dogs, uh, yeah, there were people on the phone to me complaining, including a couple of U.S. senators. So this is a very, very, very timely, and it is a very, very touchy subject. And there's another aspect to this as well. At the end of this month, the federal government has to go through a process. Congress has to authorize either a budget for next year, which is not going to happen, or what's known as a continuing resolution. There are 17 members of the Freedom Caucus that are already threatening to hold up any kind of discussions at all, and this is a Republican majority house, mind you, um, they're, they're upset because they want to get rid of trans-friendly policies in terms of transgender health care, educational issues, and other things within the Department of Defense. They're also ticked off about the DOD's abortion things. And I was just told in the last couple of days they're also really upset about Title IX rules that the Biden White House put out through the Education Department that has to do with, you guessed it, parental rights and trans kids. So this conversation, like I said, has several moving parts. It goes from the political aspects of it right into the local school boards. And one of the overarching things, and Chris will get into this in greater detail, is this particular act, which uh, it has its real-world effects. Uh, Lance will be able to talk to that. I could just tell you from my perspective that we have seen um, that this issue has become a very toxic one in a number of ways, especially when you're talking queer kids. Um, I tragically spoke with the mother of a queer kid who killed himself last month in San Diego. It was a direct result of online bullying. It was through social media platforms where this bullying occurred. Uh, and it, again, is something that needs to be addressed. So that's kind of where we're at right now, and, and that's what's going on um, as far as related to this issue. One more thing before we go to our guests. Um, we have uh, a couple things which I think are really pretty cool, and I want to point out to folks uh, that we have state lawmakers who are going in a different direction and working with this. Um, the Los Angeles Blade was able to run a piece by Chalkbeat Chicago, and it talks about how the state of Illinois and Illinois' affirming governor um, is welcoming trans people, especially trans youth, into the state uh, as trans people are literally and families are moving out of states like Texas and Florida. Uh, the state of Illinois is welcoming them with open arms. Uh, governor uh, Pritzker has made it uh, 
his mission, and, and in a recent tweet, the governor said this, as governor of Illinois, I've made it my mission to make our state the best place to raise a family, including for our LGBTQ plus community. If you're looking for a place to be authentically yourself, the governor said, come on up to Illinois. Trans rights are human rights here. And with that, Rob, I'll throw it back to you. Okay, great. Um, Well, we've got quite a cast on today, so I want to try to um, run the discussion in in somewhat of an organized fashion so we we, uh, get clarity on the issue and the solutions that are on the table. Um, So I want to first welcome to the show uh, Lance Preston, and as we said before, Lance is the um, founder and executive director of the Rainbow Youth Project USA. Lance, welcome. How are you, Rob? Hello to everyone. I'm doing great. Hey, Lance, can you, just for people who don't know about uh, the Rainbow Youth Project, can you give us kind of an overview of the mission and um, what what the organization does? Sure. So our primary focus is providing free mental health uh, crisis intervention and suicide prevention services to young LGBTQIA plus kids all across the country. Currently, we have 998 of those kids across 42 states. These are high-risk LGBTQ kids who 40% of them have attempted suicide within the past year, so they're high risk. That free mental health counseling program and the crisis intervention programs are primary focus, um, not necessarily secondary in, in, in any way, but yet aside from that, we also work with homeless LGBTQ youth to try to get them into secure housing and into supportive housing, back into educational programs and assist them in um, uh, obtaining certificates like for veterinary assistance or CNA programs. Well, thank God for you, and we, you know, we should exponentially increase you by about 100 times um, because I know the problem is that big, and you guys are absolute um, dynamos in terms of going after it with the the resources you have. Um, Lance, can on the subject at hand today, um, you know, with your finger literally on the pulse out there, um, can you describe what is happening with a lot of LGBTQ youth and social media? Um, obviously, there's abuse and everything going on. How is that abuse dictated or handed out? In what way on social media that you have been around and, and been um, apprised of? Well, it's uh, it's really a sad situation because a large majority of the young people who end up calling into our crisis center, it is a result of bullying. And most of the time that bullying is centered around social media platforms. Um, I would venture to, to say probably 90% of that bullying is actually what takes place outside of school in the bedroom or wherever they are with, with social media platforms. Um, as you may recall, um, last year we had a young person who had come out in Texas and immediately was attacked online through Facebook, Instagram, and uh, TikTok. As a result, you know, this, this young person became very isolated, very depressed, and ended up with, you know, a suicide attempt. So we see it quite a bit. Another thing that we see is when young people 
um, post something online in regards to just maybe even just using the letters LGBTQ, um, they will get just a ton of things sent to them that are very anti-LGBTQ. Um, some of those things go so far, I mean, we've seen the screenshots and when they've reported it, that is basically telling them that their best option is to unalive themselves. Um, so it's actually a very serious problem. But again, one of the number one reasons for a crisis call to us is cyberbullying. Right, right, absolutely. Um, I want to bring on um, Chris Kane right now, just so Chris can give us a quick overview before we go to Laura um, on the Kids Online Safety Act. Um, Chris, welcome so to the much. show. Yeah, um, tell <laughs> us. You. Okay, so you're you're watching the Kids Online Safety Act. Um, what is in that act, and um, who is it covering? So with a couple of important caveats, um, most importantly that I'm not an attorney, unlike some people that are on the call. Um, so what I can tell you is, you know, this there was a lot that went into this. So this is a, a big, broad, wide-ranging piece of legislation that actually targets some very specific types of harms that children encounter online. Um, so we're talking about um, medically quantifiable things like mental health disorders, um, suicides, um, drug abuse, substance abuse, that kind of thing. Um, so essentially thinking back to, um, you know, even as recently as a few years ago when you had Frances Haugen testifying to Congress about some of the harms that Facebook and Instagram were engaged in, and the information that these companies had internally about the harms their platforms were causing more broadly, um, you know, there was a, a huge, there is a huge demand for Congress to, to act and intervene in ways that, that curb social media platforms' ability to disseminate really harmful content. And this ranges from child sexual abuse material to um, advertising for drugs and alcohol to minors to, um, you know, information or materials encouraging youth to commit suicide or self-harm. So it's a, it's, you know, these are real concrete dangers that affect all children. So I think it's important to zoom out and, and understand that this is not something that's LGBTQ exclusive. Right. This is responding to broad harms that children have encountered online for a very long time. Um, so the other the other thing that I'll note about the legislation more broadly, and we can get into specifics later, um, you know, is that this has been um, the bill has been drafted, I think, a few different uh, a few different times or a few different versions. Um, most recently, the version that was introduced in May and uh, the folks that I've spoken with have indicated, and, and this has been reported elsewhere too, um, that there was a lot of discussion between policymakers and different stakeholders and different groups, including um, LGBTQ advocates and other special interests. Um, so is there anything else you'd like for me to add on the legislation there, or is that a good place to, to, to stop? Yeah, I, I guess my big question, just being very involved in from a marketing standpoint behind social media and different platforms and all that, is when it, the bill talks about dissemination of information, what exactly does that mean? I mean, because there are, there are things that can get linked into social media, 
There's the comment section on social media. There are direct messages in social media. Then there is the really the content distribution, which is like where your your feed comes in and you know an algorithm is putting together all the content that you could be seeing and sort of segmenting that down to a prioritized fashion. What part of that or or pieces of it are covered by this? So I think it's important to remember that, um, that that a lot of the activity in which online platforms are engaged is governed by Section 230 of the 1996 Communications Decency Act, which essentially, and the attorneys can speak to this better than I can, but it, it, it immunizes these companies from any legal liability for content published on their platforms, right? So, so what this legislation does, and I'll give you a, a few kind of examples of, of the ways that it seeks to mitigate these harms that I was describing, right? So one of them is allowing a, a way for parents and schools and, and adults more generally to report instances of, of harm, okay? Um, so, you know, a lot of parents are really frustrated when they realize, you know, hey, my, somebody was trying to sell my kid drugs on Facebook, and I had no way to report this. I had no, you know, there was no email address I could reach out to to, to redress this problem. Um, so, so that's one of the things that this, this bill would do um, is create some accountability there. Um, and, and also would do things like prohibit these platforms from facilitating that kind of advertising in the first place. Um, and, and also, and I think this is really important too, because having reported on these companies for years when I was covering antitrust in a previous role, I can tell you um, that you know, these companies are not inclined to cooperate with, um, with the government, especially when asked for, for information and report, reporting on such important issues as the ways in which these platforms are affecting children. Um, so this legislation would uh, would require that there's some reporting mechanisms built into it as well. Um, so I, I hope I hope that's a satisfactory answer for you. I'm, I'm sorry I can't speak in, in any more detail than that, um, but that's essentially no. What that we're that at. that adds yeah that adds a lot of clarity. Um, and probably to chunk in the best to probably give us even more clarity, I do want to welcome uh, Laura uh, Marquez Garrett to the show. Welcome, Laura. Thank you so much. And, and, you know, you couldn't see it, but I was raising my hand over here to, to talk about COVID. Uh, actually, so, I saw it. I, I totally saw it. You saw it? Yeah. I, I totally you saw it. That, that's right? why, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, that's, that's why yeah. I was like, okay, Laura's raising her hand and you need to move to Laura. I appreciate um, it. I appreciate it. Laura, and, yeah. yeah, if you could give us more color so, um, behind this bill. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so first I want to say, I mean, I love the points that, that Chris made, right, which is we hear a lot about um, COSA and, and you'll hear a lot about the duty of care and what does that mean? But, but what I love about Chris's point is there's so much more to it, right? So you have the reporting mechanism. Like if you want to talk parental control, uh, it, you know, in my opinion, the number one provision of COSA that speaks to parental control, really, I mean, and, and user control is this, you have to have a working reporting mechanism, right? Because, you know, try calling one of these platforms someday to report the fact that, that your kid, you know, a predator is preying on your child. Let me know how easy that is, because we tried, right? There's no numbers to call. You report it. There's no one to respond. There's, so I liked raising that point of COSA, but, but where I was really raising my hand is when we talk about disseminating information um, or, or content. COSA is, is not about content in, in that sense. 
Um, and if you look at that duty of care, it's talking about the design and operation of, of products, services, or features. So actually, while, while Brody was talking at the beginning, I just pulled my phone out, and I ran a quick search. I went to Google.com, and I ran a quick search for gay pride. Um, and, and you can't see my other phone right now, but it's fantastic. I mean, it, it really is fabulous. What I got when I searched gay pride was a lot of gay pride. I've got articles. I've got news reports. Um, it is a really positive feed that I have got that, quite frankly, is gay pride. Now, the issue with these companies and what, and what COSA is really aimed at here um, is that we have kids who will go onto these platforms and are questioning and need somebody and, you know, someplace to go to, and they will search gay pride. Um, and what happens for these kids is they're not getting this fantastic sort of gay pride-based response. They are getting equally, if not more, of you're going to hell, right? You should unalive yourself. This is bad. This is wrong. They're getting this really harmful experience that is causing, uh, in many cases, the, you know, depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. It, they're getting, I mean, I've seen searches where kids will search. I, I looked at one this morning where a child was searching for uplifting content because he'd gone through a breakup. And the platform, knowing that he'd gone through a breakup, um, targeted him with go kill yourself, you know, what I started calling go kill yourself content, right? And aren't you really sad that she left you? That's what kids are, are going through. And that's when you look at COSA. Again, I think the section three is where all the debate comes in. There is a really important carve out that was added in the last couple months. Um, and it says in, that a covered platform has no duty to prevent or preclude any minor under 17 uh, from deliberately and independently searching for or specifically requesting content. So for me, that was what changed my mind about COSA. That's what brought me over from the, hey, I can't stand behind this no matter how important it is, to the, hey, we cannot wait one more year to get something like this in place to protect these kids, right? Because that is the difference between when you go to Google.com and you search for something and you go to, you know, Instagram or TikTok. And that is the that is the heart of COSA right there. That is the the product, service, or feature, the design and operation issue. So, Laura, this is, I've I've got a bunch of questions, and part of it is just in full disclosure because I'm kind of in the weeds because I deal with a lot of websites and SEO and you know kind of the infrastructure of of internet and traffic of information and all that. And um, so I am a little confused on, and here's my first question, where it talks about covered platforms, what are the platforms that are covered by this proposed legislation? Yeah, and, and that's a great question. It's what I can, I can tell you what they're not, right? Because that for me, I mean, in looking at that, um, it's an online platform, uh, video game messaging app. What I do know is over the last several months, they've added a bunch of carve-outs. So, for example, and, and a big one for me in this whole COSA debate, um, nonprofits are not covered. And that is explicitly in there. I think it's like one of the last exceptions recently added. Um, so any, it's an organization not organized to carry on business for its own profit or that of its members. So if you're a nonprofit, you're not covered. If you're um, Zoom, they talk about like video conferencing where you need to have a sign-on, right? I, I believe in here, you know, or platforms like Signal. Those types of things are not covered. Email services are not covered, um, uh, you know, broadband internet services. So there's a whole category of stuff that's not covered. Um, and, and then, of course, the, without knowing the exact scope of what is covered, you have the Facebooks, the Instagrams, 
um, a lot of these social media platforms. And I'm sure there's, there's going to be platforms outside of those sort of top, let's say top four, top five that, that sort of monopolize the, the arena. Um, so there are a lot of carve outs in there is, is what I would say. Yeah, it's um, the, I guess the questions I have is one, are the search engines themselves covered? Because from what I've seen, that's a big source with Google, Yahoo, Bing, you know, all of the different search engines. Um, because the, the method that happens behind the scenes on, on websites and, and probably nefarious websites is that if you want to get found, on by a search engine, you tag articles to the target audience. So you can tag somebody who, you know, you can tag LGBTQ breakup and, you know, you know, all the things that these kids are, are, um, or are searching for, and the content then will be the exact opposite. Um, how is that impacted by this or is it? Well, and when you say, sorry, when you say it's the exact opposite, which platform, so, so here, again, I went to Google.com. When I searched gay pride, I got gay pride, right? Now, if I go on to, if I open a YouTube account or I open a TikTok account or an Instagram and I search gay pride, the, the problem here is, and, and we've seen this in the data, we've had kids tell us this, the problem is that the, the social media algorithms, if you will, and, and algorithms a broad term, right? Algorithm is how you put your clothes on in the morning. Um, so we're talking right. really the technology, the social media algorithms, the reason when I go to google.com, I get one set of, of outcomes and then I go to Instagram and I may get something entirely different. And frankly, I mean, the issue here is, is typically that's leaning towards the extreme and it's leaning towards the harmful in the case of minors. Um, there's a reason for that. And that's the design and programming of those specific algorithm technologies. Right. And, and so to your point on, on search engines, I'm not hearing a lot of people saying, hey, I went and I searched for something on Google and I got suicide content unless I searched for it. Right. And, and that is a big distinction. Now, could they be under COSA? I'm looking at the language. I've actually got a copy in front of me. Um, you know, a covered platform is an online platform, uh, online video game messaging application or video streaming service that connects to the Internet and that is used or reasonably likely to be used by a minor. Now, there's a ton of exceptions, and that will back different types of, of online platforms out of COSA. Again, nonprofits being one of them. Any nonprofit puts resources up, they're outside of COSA. Um, but, you know, then the question is, could Google be in there? I can't, I can't definitively answer that, except to say I suppose it probably could, but that's where we get down to the um, couple pieces. Reasonably likely to be used by a minor. Right. And so then the question becomes, when I am on a random phone, for example, or on my computer, does Google know I'm a kid? And if the answer is no, and I don't know the answer, if the answer is no, then Google is probably not covered by COSA um, versus mm, you have okay. social, social media platforms where you open an account or let's say I open an account and I'm 12 or I'm 13 and I say I'm 13. Now, you know, I'm a kid. Let's say I'm 13 and I say I'm 35. But in the case of Meta, for example, they have these technologies, and, and you see this in the, the documents that Haugen disclosed, they have these technologies um, where they get what they call an estimated age for every user, right? And they use all these data points. So, so to the extent under COSA, one of these companies has collected those data points and has objectively and reasonably determined, hey, this kid is 13, 
they can be held to that knowledge. And, and so to me, that's a critical distinction when you're saying can we sue Google. I don't know when I ran my search just now that Google would have any reason to think that I, and not only that, but it's a higher standard than any reason to think, right? I didn't tell them how old I was. And so unless they're collecting data points on me specifically, um, such that they've determined this is how old I am, they don't know how old I am. Does that make sense? Yeah, Under it's, COSA, um, then, you're, you're no, it makes sense. It. it makes sense. It's, it's, uh, it, it, for me, it's a big concern on the effectiveness of this just because um, Google is integrated into those social media platforms. It's like when you, like if you go on Amazon and you buy a pair of mittens and then all of a sudden on Facebook you're getting advertising for mittens. It's like the, the, right. the integration right. of those is very intimate you know, through, through the technology. And one of the areas that a lot of people don't realize is when you go on a website and ask if you're going to accept cookies, if you don't go in and slide off their marketing cookies, then, and I'm not even sure which entity this is, but your data then gets sold and you will, you will get tracked, you know, and um, to your point, I don't think that, that they're, they're willfully not going to want to know how old you are. You know, so right. I'm just, you know, I guess my concern is whether this bill is technologically deep enough to have as big of an impact as we would want it. And what, what is your so, confidence in that? Yeah, and so, so what I would say, so look, Social Media Victims Law Center was formed at the end of 2021. Um, actually, it was in response to, those, to what was in those documents that Haugen came forward with, right? And it was seen, look, this right. is not Section 230. This is not third-party speech. These are product design and programming decisions that are targeting kids. These companies know what they're doing. Um, we have over 2,000 families who've retained us in a year and a half. Which, you know, for someone who spent 20 years, I mean, that's a lot of clients, man. That is a lot of people. That number's going up every day. That is scratching the surface. Um, and these are social media related harms, right? And these are, I mean, fundamentally 230, the First Amendment, what somebody goes online and searches for, we're not gonna, you're not gonna regulate that. And, and we as a society don't wanna regulate that. What COSA does, right. and, and for me, it's that limitation provision. It's that any minor, you know, you are not responsible for what a kid is deliberately and independently searching for, whether that is, you know, whatever judgments aside, whether that is suicide content, whether it is drug content, if a child goes online and searches for self-harm, um, COSA is not going to stop a platform from, from making that accessible because it can't, right? That's, that's, it's a fundamental. It's not what it's going to stop these companies from. And, and these are the ones that I would say are causing the vast majority of the harm. Um, it's these companies that are targeting these kids. They're connecting them. They're affirmatively connecting them to strangers, in fact, through their technologies. They're, they're people you may know. They're suggestions for you. Um, they are they are making it so that you cannot report bad stuff when it happens, and these kids try, and the parents try. Um, they are right. using extended use designs, right? It's going to stop that, and and it's going to stop them from designing those social media specific algorithms to target these kids, because that's their complete defense. If if someone says, "Hey, you're violating COSA," no, I'm not. Right? These kids that are under 17, they search for this content. Now it's so outside if of I can also, so, yeah. if I can quickly add oh, great, another point, um, which, which Laura raised, um, 
you know, in terms of the, the law's ability to, to regulate the kind of speech that these platforms allow, um, and, and her point that basically they're not able to, they have these constraints, Section 230 and the First Amendment, um, you know, and, and I think this is an important point to raise in the context of concerns that were raised about the potential that state attorneys general that are deputized in this bill to, to enforce its provisions might weaponize that against certain communities, against LGBTQ youth, for example. Um, so not only does the bill not, in my view at least, um, allow for, for that to happen in the first place, but even if it did, it couldn't because there are these existing um, bulwarks against that kind of abuse. Right. So, um, so let's, let's talk about the big pink elephant in the living room on this, although pink is probably the wrong color. Um, to describe it, the uh, the red elephant in the in the the living room, which is the language in the bill, and everybody on this call will have a clear view of what it means in terms of not doing something to harm the mental health of young people in the wrong hands, and the the bastardized interpretation of what harmful mental health endeavors might be, um, the conservatives potentially can leap on this and call anything LGBTQ, quote unquote, grooming. Um, you know, Marsha Blackburn has already said something that indicated that talking to young people about um, what it is to be trans or whatever is potentially mental health harming. Um, you know, the, the MA classifies gender dysphoria still as, as um, an issue rather than just a state of being, how is this not going to get used inappropriately? And I'll open that to so, This is Lance. And, and for me, I think the problem that, that I really have with this, and it's one of the questions that I have, is like, you're correct. Senator you know, Blackburn basically said that this needed to be used to protect minor children from the transgender in this culture and that influence. And she said that at the Family Policy Alliance. That, that really, uh, that bothers me a lot. The other thing about this that bothers me, and I think Laura could probably talk on this better than I could, is I'm still worried that the duty of care is fatally flawed with this, especially when it comes to these kids seeking out mental health information about anxiety, depression, or, you know, patterns of use that could indicate or encourage addiction-like behaviors or, or things of that sort. So I'm, I'm, I have concerns. I, I don't. I agree that it's been um, corrected a little bit, but I'm still worried about the duty of care and and the intent. So if I can make a, a small point about the Marsha Blackburn issue, um, now my, I mean, of course this is. I think a part of this is open to interpretation, but my reading of her comments were that she, she said the, the, this thing about not wanting transgender in the culture and, and kids to be exposed to that. Um, and then she kind of, in my view, pivoted to talking about the Kids Online Safety Act. I don't really know, and I'm certainly not convinced that she was using that as an, a, as an example of the ways in which she intends to prevent the exposure of transgender to, to minor youth, okay? Um, so, so that's to start with. And then secondly, I think um, it's important to also note that she made those comments, I believe, in March, which is several months before the 2023 iteration came out. 
that had a lot of these um, these safeguards added to it um, to address a lot of the concerns with respect to LGBTQ issues. Um, so, so I think that's important to note that timeline. Yeah, and, and I think, I, so I, I think where, that's, where I made that connection ahead, was just you know just after she made that comment, she then went on to talk about that this is where children are being indoctrinated. Um, her statement was they're hearing things at school and then they're getting onto YouTube to watch a video and all of a sudden this comes to them. They click on something and then the next thing you know, they're being inundated with it. It's entirely clear, of course, what it she was referring to, but considering that she had just mentioned trans issues just a few seconds before that, it, it is really where I kind of need the connection. And, and what I would suggest, and Chris, I think your point's really valid about her in context, and I'm not even really focusing on her. Um, I, mm -hmm. My focus is on the principle that whether she meant it or not, whether she was drawing those correlations or not, you know that will be done. You know these people will do that. That that and and the fact that I mean I hate to be cynical, but the fact that this is getting bipartisan support is kind of raises the question of like, okay, I know why we want this bill. Why do you want this bill? So, I mean, I think it is a fair rock to look under um, as, yeah. as potential. Um, of so, course. But of course, these are, these are absolutely reasonable questions. So I'll address it, I think, in two parts, and I'd love to hear Laura's take as well. Um, so, so first, in terms of why we're seeing bipartisan support for this bill, um, so as a political reporter, I can tell you my, my sense is that this has to do with, again, the overarching concerns that are addressed by this bill. So material online that's encouraging kids to kill themselves, that's trying to sell drugs, that's, you know, child sexual abuse material, and so on and so forth, right? So there is, of course, broad bipartisan consensus that something needs to be done about this, and there needs to be more accountability for social media platforms that facilitate this kind of thing, right? So um, secondly, you know, the point that I would make, and this gets into, I think, the, um, the duty of care, and, and Laura is much better positioned than I to talk about this, but, um, you know, my reading of the language in the bill is that this is very clinical. I mean, it spells out exactly the kind of content that is likely to trigger, you know, quantifiable um, mental health outcomes that are undesirable, right? So anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, as, as demonstrated and supported by, you know, the Surgeon General's Office, the American uh, Psychological Association, and so forth. And, and so this is Lauren, I'll sort of jump in on that, which is that, you know, I think yeah. so going to the text of COSA, right, one of the issues, there's two pieces that I think you raised. One is this sort of sexual exploitation and abuse, and, and this is where I look to like these recent changes. So they took out the word grooming, which was squishy, right? I mean, it's, it's got a lot of interpretation. I think we can all see how that could be used and misused, rather. But if you look at the new term, the sexual exploitation and abuse, what's, what's critical is that that is a defined term. So you go back to Section 2, I think it is. It's in the definition. Um, it, for people who are concerned about that sexual exploitation and abuse term, go back to subsection 14 of the definition, what they've done is they've actually tied that to very specific terms and very specific already existing statutes. 
Now, as part of this exercise, a colleague and I, out of concern, like we wanted to track it down, we went and we looked at those statutes. Um, and, and when you look at those statutes, you will see that, that those are very specific. It's, it's trafficking, it's child sexual abuse material. None of those statutes refer to grooming or anything that you could have sort of a conservative AG trying to tie. So at least from my perspective, I mean, that sexual exploitation and abuse is, they have, they have resolved my concerns on that. Now, the second point there is we talk about um, anxiety, depression, and uh, where is it here, suicidal behaviors. In all of COSI, I would argue that that is the, I mean, I think those are the four words that are, are giving people pause. And, and let's be really clear, the, the queer community is under attack in, in every corner. I would say just not by COSA, right? But, but it's natural. It's natural for people to be afraid um, because there are so many things out there that are being targeted. Um, within COSA, then, you have this language that talks about anxiety, depression, suicidal behaviors. I will tell you that of our 2,000 cases, um, this is necessary. Uh, it is necessary because of the examples we talked about earlier. You know, I have 16-year-old boys, more than one, plural, who were, who were going through a breakup and went on to TikTok to search for reaffirming content, positive content. Um, we've got those search terms. And then you see the videos that are quite literally advocating mm. that they go take a gun and shoot themselves. Um, Mason Edens is one who two weeks later took a gun and shot himself. Right. So because these kids are on TikTok for hours. Right. I mean, and it's this horrible stuff. So we have got to we cannot just cut out this this whole category of harms that it's causing. So for me, in 2022, when I read that type of language um, and, and, you know, we should never have to we should never have to balance the kids that are dying today versus the kids that might die tomorrow. But that's really where social media has put us in this. Um, that is what we are doing. We are we are trying to decide, you know, which is which is we're balancing it, right? So in 2022, when I see those types of terms, um, I can't do it. Even, even seeing these stories, working with these families who I love and, and we care about, I can't say, yes, let's support a bill um, that is going to open up every queer kid in the country to attack. Um, and so for me, that's what the changes changed, right? For me, that's what the, the definitions that they've added and more importantly, I know I keep coming back to this, but having seen so many of these cases and this data, it's this yeah, deliberately and independently searching for or requesting, right? I mean, that to me is, is the key. And, and the answer here, and I'd almost say it is the, the fuchsia elephant in the room, let's say, is the fact that if and when COSA passes, um, the products that we know now, these social media products, the way those products are going to operate when it comes to kids are going to be very different. Right? They're not going to be as flashy. They're not going to be, kids are going to turn their phones off at night because they're not going to be sucked into this. And part of that is because if these companies want to avoid scrutiny of their products, not of their content, not of LGBTQ content, because that's not what COSA covers, but of their design and programming decisions, that's what COSA allows the, the FTC, the, the AGs, to look into. It's the product design. How are you programming with these kids? What are you targeting at them? Um, and if and when that happens, these products are going to be a lot more boring for kids because these kids are going to have to search for this content. And that's the difference. And so when, when I read that new limitation, um, that is how, that is why when I see anxiety and depression, that is what makes clear what COSA is talking about because COSA is saying it, any minor, you have no duty if a minor has, has thought it out. Right. And again, that's the difference between a search on Instagram, which may get me go kill yourself content and a search on google.com which is going to get me what I'm looking for, 
it's programming. And, and you can't, if these companies are programming, and also look at COSA's disclosure requirements, they've got to tell you what they're doing. They've got to tell you how much money they're making off kids, um, you know, what harms they've identified, because many of them have. It, you have to read COSA as a whole. And, and that's the biggest, I think, takeaway for me is that one section to me is one of the most important, um, but we cannot just read those terms that, that naturally give us cause for concern, especially when we've got senators who are voicing their, their personal opinions right, in the same, maybe the same setting as COSA um, that, are, that are hurtful to many of us, but, but we can't, you have got to read this whole thing in context. And that exception and the way these technologies work is why I absolutely support COSA with the new language, with the new language. So, I'm sorry, I just wanted to make one quick point, which is that, listen, I understand, especially in light of Senator Blackburn's comments, and when you look at some of the co-sponsoring Republican senators, you know, you have people like uh, John Cornyn and uh, Lindsey Graham, people who are very conservative, very anti-equality, very anti-trans, um, you know, and, and on the record as being so. So it, skepticism is absolutely healthy and appropriate in this context. And I think you're right to ask the question, you know, why are Democrats joining some of these Republicans and supporting the bill? And I think what I will tell you based on my experience covering politics in this administration, noting also that the White House is very supportive of this bill, is that you have very smart, very thoughtful people working in these Democratic senators' offices and, and in the Biden-Harris administration who are, who are very, very carefully following the, uh, you know, and paying attention to the risk that potentially this could be weaponized against uh, against queer youth. So that's definitely something that they are paying attention to and accounting for as represented by, again, the fact that they've met with a lot of the LGBTQ uh, special interests and advocacy groups. So um, I want to pivot a little bit on another. Go ahead. Sure. I'm oh, sorry. I just want to make one comment on that, right? So, so like back in January, I was at a roundtable in front of a House subcommittee in D.C., which is the Republican, right, the Republican part. Uh, and I'll tell you why some of them are supporting it. As we were in this hearing talking about drug distribution on Snapchat and specifically these, these fentanyl-laced prescription pills that kids are told are cool to get, they don't know fentanyl's in it. I mean, we had some of those, those representatives saying, hey, I just texted my grandkids, right? Like, so, so I mean, you can tell I'm not from the Hill and, and maybe it's overly naive, but in some case, it's because these senators have children. They have nieces and nephews. They have grandkids. And it's time, right? I mean, enough's enough. Every year, big tech pushes back COSA is a win. It's billions of dollars. It's also thousands, if not millions, of more kids, especially LGBTQ kids, who are either dead or broken forever. And, and so for some of these, these politicians, I do know, because I've seen them say, I just texted every one of my grandkids and told them what is happening. Um, they're scared, and rightly so. Right. No, and, and great, great point, and that that is that is great insight in, into the the scenes there. Um, I'm glad you brought up Snapchat because that's kind of my next question. <clears throat> Are Snapchat, Discus, <clears throat> and other um, smaller apps included in this? Whoa! So sorry, sorry. I I so Snapchat. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to ask why we think Snapchat is a smaller app. I know it says that. Um, Snapchat made, I don't know how many billions last year, billions, billions of dollars. 
Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'll have to, I'll have to look at, I, I would never put snap in a small, I, I think in 2013, it started as a small app. They're right up there with, with, you know, TikTok, meta. I mean, it's, it's, they haven't been around as long, um, but Snapchat is 100% in this. Um, Snapchat claims that it's got 90% of American youth on its app, right? right. And, and that, and let me actually add, if you look at COSA, in the disclosure requirements, I think there's like a 10 million monthly active user um, in the, uh, sorry, in the, uh, so transparency would be the disclosure. It is, so the disclosure requirements under the transparency, they have to do an annual report um, and that is for platforms that average more than 10 million active monthly users in the United States alone. On the reporting mechanism, they have broken that out so that the time with which you have to respond when someone reports, which, by the way, if, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm conservative, if I'm, I mean, I think there is a, a parental, sort of parental rights aspect to it, and this reporting mechanism is incredible because we see this every day. These, these apps have no working reporting mechanisms. This is going to put them on notice of harms that are happening, um, but that also breaks up between if you have more or less than I think it's 10 million monthly active users. So, so platforms with less than 10, which is a lot of people, less than 10 million monthly active users um, may have some sort of step-down requirements. They also, as I read this, uh, you know, that disclosure requirement is different. The ones with more than 10 million, which I guarantee you, Snap is well over 10 million monthly active users in the U.S. every month. So on something like Snapchat, um, it's got kind of things built in. It's sort of like the burner phone of social <laughs> media, um, and yeah. it's why teenagers like it because things disappear and you know they they don't aren't accountable for what they are looking at or 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 communicating, um, et cetera. Um, how will this affect that aspect of that particular brand? So, so Snapchat, so we actually have um, 65 claims currently, 65 families that are involved in lawsuits against Snapchat specifically. We have other apps, but um, relating to drug distribution, right? So these are kids that are being connected to dealers. They buy what they think is a Percocet. It turns out it's lethal fentanyl. Um, and they're gone, and, and these kids are aged like 12 to 22. So what COSA is not going to cover everything, and I'll, I'll have to go back and look, but I don't think COSA is going to say, hey, you can't delete data as a matter of routine policy. You have to preserve it for law enforcement like most businesses do. I don't think COSA necessarily does that. We're, we're going we're gonna to address that in, in the court system, hopefully. We are working on that, right? But what I do think in these Snapchat cases, I mean, this is huge, geolocation. I can't tell you how many young girls we have seen um, where a predator has found them because of a snap map and mm -hmm. has then, right? So geolocation, that's going to put that in place. The other thing is quick ad, snaps quick ad. We ran a test account two months ago. We open an account. We self-identify as a 16-year-old girl. Try it, try it sometime. No contacts on the phone. No snap friends. Right out the gate, we get over 200 quick ad requests. And you, and you see those emojis. And, and so our tester I mean, there's predators, there's drug dealers. Our tester starts accepting some. The, these users start video calling her, sending her videos of them masturbating. So, so the issue with Snapchat is, and this is another programming issue, and it's with all these platforms, these user recommendation systems, they are programming them, and we don't know the details of how because they won't tell us or anyone um, what we know from experience and from testing and from what kids have told us is that they are affirmatively connecting children to predators, including drug dealers. 
right? And it's not just a little right. bit. I mean, I've had young, young girls that say, I opened an account, I was 12 years old, and I got, you know, it, it was every day I got dick pics, I got, um, you know, all of this just bad stuff. And for the kids that are strong enough to walk away, great. For the kids that aren't, not great, right? So COSA will address that. It will, it will look at the harms that are happening to kids. That is your, your statutory, you know, your CSAM material, child sexual abuse material. Um, it will impact SNAP. It will impact all of these apps. It will impact them in terms of them sending notifications to kids at 2 in the morning, in terms of their um, addictive mechanisms. Look at the gamification features in SNAP, right? They have trophies and scores and streaks and things that the more you use their app, the more points you get, and the more points you get, the more popular you feel, right? These are manipulation tools, especially when they're targeting kids. Well, uh, yeah, it's, it's um, intense. Um, first of all, I want to thank everybody for joining the call today. We are down to our last three minutes. And, um, Laura, I want to ask you one final question, but I want to make sure I get the thank you in for everybody being on the call and clarifying this to your clarifications. I think have been um, insightful and incredibly helpful. Um, and Laura, the, kind of the final question I want to ask you in our last minutes here is, apart from the, the specific issues and probably apart from this bill itself on social media, <clears throat> one thing that I have talked to with other parents and is a big concern for us is simply the neurological effect of especially yeah. TikTok and the hypnotic yeah. absorption that it creates in kids. Um, are you um, and your organization doing anything looking into that? Are there studies? Yes. Is anybody yes. addressing that aspect? Please, yeah, what, what's yes, going on there? Yes, 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 and yes. So, so there are a couple of proceedings um, across the country. One is called the MDL, M is in Mary. That is the federal court proceedings. One is the JCCP in California. We have the Snapchat cases. I mentioned the fentanyl poisoning ones, rather. Um, and some one-off state cases. We also have the, um, the extreme, right? So we have the Buffalo Tops Massacre and, and, and trying to show how these platforms are pushing these kids into these far-right groups, these extremist groups, this, these hate groups. So that is what you brought up, though. There are studies. We have experts. Um, that, that is wrapped up into part of, like, the MDL or the JCCP, where you're talking about these addiction mechanisms. Um, and not just the addiction, but the harms that are, that are happening to the kids and it's very real. I, I will tell you, I, YouTube is no longer allowed in my household since I started this work. I had no idea how dangerous it was. It took me almost three months to wean my five-year-old child off of YouTube kids because of the, yeah. the dopamine hits that these kids are getting from these short clips, right? It's not a movie. It's a 30-second it's a clip. That is real, folks. That is addictive. It is real because it is giving these kids dopamine hits. It's that instant gratification, and we're going to see long-term effects of that on our kids. I totally believe that. And I've got two sons that, that I think have been affected by that. They're sort of at the other end of it and over it a little bit, but I see that as a real thing. And thank you all for the work you do. Um, thank you, obviously, for participating today. But um, more importantly, thank you for each of your individual charters, um, you're all heroic in your own way, in your, in your own field. Um, that is it for us today. That is all we have time for, unfortunately. Um, but uh, we will be back again next week. Don't forget to read the Washington Blade and the Los Angeles Blade. You can find them online 
um, most important information you could read on any given day. And I want to thank Brady Levesque for his, first of all, being editor of said newspaper and also for his um, work here on Radio LGBT Radio. And we will see you again next week. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio.